Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 158 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, we are discussing the pitfalls associated with the zero waste movement as well as how to overcome them. Now, spoiler alert, the mainstream sustainability movement is ridiculously inclusive. Am I right? It almost reminds me of the cool kids table in high school. Either you are in or you are so, so out. (laughs) By and large, the environmental movement is comprised of white, middle class, upper middle class, educated people. And while caring about the environment may indeed be a privilege, I believe that if the sustainability movement fails to include people with distinct voices and diverse skin colors and varying life experiences, the movement has little chance of succeeding. Privilege is just one pitfall that plagues environmentalism. Another that's within the zero waste movement specifically is the right or wrong militant stance that zero waste tends to advocate for by its name alone, right? The term zero waste just implies black or white, right or wrong. (laughs) So either you're doing it right and you're producing zero trash or you're part of the problem. On today's show, I am speaking with Elspeth Callahan. Elspeth is the host of the Practically Zero Waste podcast, and she believes that sustainable living in real life is not about fitting all your trash into a tiny little mason jar and posting about it on Instagram. Instead, Elspeth is quite practical, hence practically zero waste. She's practical in her beliefs that the zero waste movement is about building a vibrant community of allies. Now, today's conversation is such a good one. So before we get right into it, a quick note that this week's episode is sponsored by my book, which is aptly titled, of course, Sustainable Minimalism. No surprise there. I wrote this book to help you increase your free time with fewer possessions, to offer eco-friendly ways of decluttering and organizing, and to walk you through how exactly to not only create but maintain a minimalist, low-waste home with children. I believe I wrote a book about eco-minimalism that's unlike any other because it's realistic, and I so hope you will support it. Sustainable Minimalism is currently available for pre-order wherever you buy books. Check out this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 158 for more information, and thank you. Enjoy the episode. Elspeth, thank you so much for coming on the show. I love to talk to people who are doing low waste and zero waste right. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for asking. I am really excited to pick your brain because my entry into environmental issues came when I looked at my trash, and that was the thing that made me start to think about not only uh, how much I was throwing away, but also my carbon footprint, about how much energy I was wasting. And so before we get into all of that, introduce yourself to my listeners. Who are you? What do you do? And how did you find yourself interested, so interested, in fact, that you started a podcast on the zero waste movement? Uh, I started... My zero waste journey, if you want to call it that, about 
early 2017, let's say, so three years. And I was about to get married and was just looking at how to kind of like build a home and put it together and move in with my soon-to-be husband. And we were uh, just kind of trying to look at this from a lower waist perspective. I was in Chapters one day, a bookstore, and grabbed uh, Bea Johnson's Zero Waste Home because I was like, hmm, that's a term that I've heard kind of floating around a little bit. And then from there, I've just read it cover to cover and was like, oh my gosh, I have to throw out like everything that I own that's plastic and I'm so overwhelmed and how do I even like begin to start this? Like I was remembering a time that I had... Uh, just finished that book and was preparing a meal and realized that most of the ingredients were coming wrapped in plastic and that some of the ingredients had um, non-vegan elements to them. And I had already kind of the day before been like, okay, no more plastic and now I'm vegan. But I hadn't prepared myself. I didn't realize how to do those things and I didn't know where to go. And so I was like, hungry. (laughs) It was a weird feeling of being like, but I can't eat that meal because it was prepared improperly. And, you know, I'm, I'm zero waste now and that creates waste. So it was a really stressful time. And I obviously mellowed out because my husband was just like, okay, just eat the thing. I was able to realize that it's all about, um, I think something that you uh, care a lot about too, is incremental changes and um, adding things in one at a time as you master that one thing, or as you become habitual with that one thing, then you can move on to the next thing and the next. Uh, It's not about throwing out all of your plastic right at the start. It's not about um, starving yourself and not knowing how to cook vegan food right off the start, because that's a learning curve too. Um, And so from there, uh, I think I maybe just talked his ear off a little bit too much, because eventually he suggested that I start a YouTube channel because he's a videographer. Um, And I was like, I don't really want my face on the internet. So I went with a podcast instead, because talking um, about these topics really helps me to learn more about them at the same time, because really, I don't feel like an authority, even still four years later, I don't really feel feel like an authority on zero waste as much as I love kind of bringing other people's voices together on the podcast and sharing all of these different perspectives because there's no one way to do zero waste and uh, no one way to be an environmental activist. So much of your story speaks to my heart and I think the number one aspect of you standing in the kitchen with all the plastic waste and all perhaps the non-vegan ingredients is that it is so relatable, right? Like we've all been there. We all want to do better, but then in practice, we hit some hitches, right? I also, Bay Johnson's book was one of the first ones when I was journeying down my more environmentally friendly journey. That was, you know, that's like kind of a Bible for us. And I read that and I was like, this is lovely. And it's so wonderful that she's making all these changes and they're working for her. But I don't know how on earth those changes are going to translate into my life. So one thing I really applaud you for is that, you know, your podcast is called Practically Zero Waste. It's it's all about incrementalism, right? Like, We can't be, or at least I can't be, and if you can be, we're going to talk about it, but I cannot be zero waste 100% of the time. Can you? No, oh my gosh, that's not, that's not the point. (laughs) So no, absolutely not. I'm 
not zero waste even all of the time or most of the time. Uh, and I think that we'll probably unpack the term zero waste a little bit more. Yes, like, let's do that. I have a lot of problems with the term. I have a lot of love and respect for the movement, but I feel like the term is so black and white, right or wrong, that it excludes a lot of aspiring people who want to lower their waste. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I feel like I'm on the same page. I really strongly encourage people to use whatever term they feel describes them the best. And if you want to tie yourself up with the with the zero waste movement and what that kind of looks like right now, um, like go ahead and use that word. I also throw out low waste, uh, waste reduction, a more conscious lifestyle, a more mindful lifestyle. Like I use all kinds of different words for this because yeah, I don't want to make it seem um, unattainable or un- inaccessible. I feel the it's quite comparable. Um, the term zero waste is quite comparable to things like minimalism, like veganism, words like that, um, that again, kind of suggest an all or nothing lifestyle. And it's, it's really hard to be like, hmm, okay, I have to be minimalist. So that means I can't own anything. Well, that's too hard. So I'm just going to skip out on that. I'm not going to bother with that movement at all. Why would I? Um, I don't want to be completely vegan. But if I'm not completely vegan, then like, why bother being even vegan half the time or having a vegan meal whenever I go out for a restaurant to a restaurant? When you're thinking about the zero waste movement, it's important to remember that, yes, zero waste is the goal. It's not the outcome because that's impossible given the society and the system that we're in. And it's not your fault that you can't be zero waste. And so all of us can try our best to reduce our waste and reduce our negative impact on the planet and try not to get discouraged when you're not always being zero waste, especially Mm. in the time of a pandemic. I feel like that's such a relatable response because there are people like me, I am one of these people who are very black and white in their thinking. You're either doing it perfect or you're not doing it at all. And so for me, starting down my minimalism journey, either I was a minimalist and I was full in two feet, giving it my all, or I was just completely out. And so what I love about your response is that you're really giving permission, but more motivation for people who think like me in black and white terms, that there is that there is that gray area in the zero waste movement. And I feel like we need to really just talk about that because for the past decade, the zero waste movement was all about perfect mason jars in your pantry and your trash fitting into, you know, (laughs) a little bag. And you have a child, I have children, and let's be (laughs) transparent. (laughs) Zero waste living is just not happening in my household and probably not yours either. Oh, yeah. Um, I I love that that's the the reminder too, um, because zero waste is a spectrum and so is minimalism. So is, I don't know, homestead lifestyle where people are like trying to can everything and grow their own food. All of those things are a spectrum and you don't have to be a hundred percent on the spectrum all the time 
because that would that people burn out after that. If you're not enjoying it um, because it's too stressful, then you're not going to keep going. So if you're able to take things on in small ways as you are um, able to, as you have an interest in, then I like, wanted that's to talk to you to less about starting zero waste and more about advanced zero waste strategies. Before we get into your tips, I have to ask you though: Is talking about zero waste living just a totally privileged conversation? Like, does privilege factor into this? And if so, how can we make the zero waste movement, creating less trash, more inclusive? Amazing. Yeah, that's such an important conversation, not just now, but like always. I want to say straight up that everything like uh, privilege factors into everything in your life because it's not just about whether or not you can afford a nice bamboo cutlery set um, versus having to use cutlery that's in your drawer or having to use plastic cutlery that you got once for takeout and use that forever until it's um, actually broken and trash. It's not about what you can buy, it's where your house is located or your apartment or your precarious housing situation. Are you located in what is known as a nice neighborhood, whatever that means to you? Are you next to the dump? Are you next to a factory that's really uncomfortable to live with because of the pollution that's coming out? Are you far from a grocery store? Like, is it over a mile walking for you to get to fresh produce? Or do you have to shop for groceries at the dollar store? Like, privilege is part of pretty much everything we have um, and interact with in life. It's where you work, it's where you live. And so to say that reducing your impact on the planet is exclusively like only for those with a higher income is unfair because everybody can make a difference. Whether you have the time and resources, which I think is the another huge privilege, it's not just about money, it's about if you have enough time at home that isn't spent caring for a sick family member or caring for lots of children or you're a single mom and you're working and having kids in daycare and you don't have a whole lot of either expendable income or expendable time to spend time doing these things. A lot of the zero waste movement and lifestyle talks a lot about slowing down and reducing your garbage, but that's because you are able to buy your fresh produce um, unpackaged or you're able to prepare a lot of meals ahead of time so that you aren't just eating out or buying prepackaged foods. I know that that is a form of privilege, but you can also still do lots of things with a lower income, or you can still do lots of things for the planet. It's actually cheaper to eat vegetarian. It's actually cheaper to walk more or use your clothesline instead of a dryer or closing racks inside your apartment. These are still privileges, I know, because there's always going to be the mental load that comes with all of these changes. And as women, we feel that already, let alone adding something like 
having to have a minimalist household or packing kids' lunches that are package-free or going to multiple grocery stores to shop for something package-free. Like, it's just not always doable, but it's okay. The point is you're just trying to look at the whole slew of things that you could do and reduce your impact wherever you can, even if that means you're just reusing all of the plastic grocery bags that you get from the grocery store, you just reuse those. There you go. That's your one random act of green for the day. Stick with that until you can add what something new to your What I love about your plate. response is that you really hit on the fact that zero waste living or really environmental friendly living is on a spectrum. Any step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. And that in itself is amazing. And that is enough. And for me, thinking about my life, my podcast, (laughs) my stay-at-home mom podcasting on the side life, if I have been dealt a hand with privilege, then, then it might absolutely be my responsibility to do as much as I can every single day. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I like what you said about responsibility. Again, not to put too much pressure on people if you're feeling the burden of all of the things that are happening, (laughs) especially being a parent, but just in general, like if you're just, if you just have too much going on, I don't want you to not think about this, but I don't want you to feel like you have to take on everything. And I don't want you to feel guilty that you can't take on more than just one thing in your life. But to move on to some of the advanced zero waste practices. Um, That's one of the best ones that I have is once you've kind of realized your privilege, realized the scope of what you can take on, and if you have an abundance in your life, be it a small amount of um, extra disposable income, but also your time. Maybe you cook large batches of food when you're meal prepping or something and you are starting to freeze those, freeze the extra portions. Maybe somebody down your street just had a baby. So you could bring them food. Like one of the best, (laughs) I just love um, a theme that has happened so often on the podcast this year has been building community as a way of saving the planet. Because once we get to know each other, once we start taking care of each other, then you're going to recognize that everybody's just people. We're all just people just trying to like get our shit together and get through this thing called life. And so once you're able to reach out to somebody um, and it doesn't have to be about garbage at this point because the advanced zero waste is getting into climate action. And climate action is absolutely part of climate justice, um, justice in general for everybody, racial justice, um, and also fighting like the problems with the class system, fighting the problems with where people um, of different races are dictated where to live. All of these things are part of this broader conversation about how to save the planet. Because once we treat other people like people, then we'll treat the planet like it's worth something. Um, First Nations people have always treated Mother Earth as if it were a person with the same amount of equal respect that you're supposed to have for everybody. Um, And so coming into that perspective where you realize that um, we're trying to make a difference on a broader scale 
opens the door to a lot of actions that you can take that are still considered advanced zero waste. It's not like now you have to own an electric vehicle or you have to upgrade your um, hybrid vehicle to an electric vehicle exclusively. And then you have to switch your uh, house to uh, all solar panels and live off the grid. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to feed people. Uh, I'm asking you to redistribute your wealth of time or money. I'm asking you to plant a garden, participate in a sharing economy, and you know not have to buy something new, but instead swap stuff um, with people who need stuff or borrow from your neighbor your get to know each other. response is so powerful because, simply because, there is nothing revolutionary in it. There's no magic step that is going to, <laughs> you know, take you from intermediate to advanced. These are all actions that we perhaps should all be doing. Like we should all be doing these things for humanity. You really said it aptly when you said that when we start taking care of each other, we also, by consequence, take care of the planet. So That brings me to my next question, which is, I feel as though, at least in my community and my little sphere on this planet, people tend to be very bound to their homes. There is a community feel, however, we're not waving to people as we, you know, pass them on the road. We're not... We're not going out of our way to share our food abundances. I mean, we know our immediate neighbors, but the community feel has really been diminishing, I think, as the decades go by. So what suggestions or motivation do you have for those of us listening who want to take their efforts outside of the home, but they feel reluctant because nobody else is doing that? Oh, it's hard to be the first person to do it. Oh, gosh. You know, I I struggled with that, too. I lived in a very large city, so Brampton. It's a suburb of Toronto for about two years. And I I waved at my neighbors um, that lived, like, right next to me. But I did not know people on the street very well. Um, and we moved to Peterborough. And I don't know if it's just that the, the town is smaller or the street that I'm on is super friendly or something, but having a kid (laughs) helped to meet people or having a dog helped uh, meet people because uh, then you're out on the street going for a walk all the time and you start conversations because they're like, oh my gosh, he's so cute. And you're like, I know. I know that that's how community has started for me here in Peterborough on our street, but ways that I see people building community, even in small ways, is kind of putting yourself out there. You don't need to like organize like a big Christmas lights party on your street and have like a contest and prizes. You don't need to do that to meet people. But, you know, being the first one to wave, that can take some confidence. But putting something out that, you know, is still in good condition that you don't want anymore, that can maybe withstand the rain, like so maybe some kids' toys or uh, whatever. You've got some old chairs that still look nice and you just put them out on the side of your curb. That's what I'm saying is like put something out there and see like 
see if that's something that kind of becomes a thing over time is people swapping and trading stuff like that. Another really awesome one that I love is the little free library boxes and the little free pantries. So if you wanted uh, to kind of build community in your area, you could put one of these boxes. Um, They're little wooden houses basically on a pole that has a little clear door that has just free books. People can swap and trade books right on your lawn or right at the end of your street. If there's a trail near your house, it's a good spot for it. Same with a pantry, just putting dry goods out and people just take what you need, leave what you can sort of policy. If you want to build community, you kind of have to seek it out. Um, The other way to do it could be to join something like a buy nothing group. Um, There's often a Facebook group for every city and often for like you know, different parts of every city because uh, these groups tend to be pretty hyper-local in their trading economies. But a buy-nothing group is a great way to meet people because um, if you're swapping and trading things, even just porch pickups, you start to get to know each other in that way and it's usually pretty local to you. Um, And then one other app that um, is really good is called Olio, O-L-I-O. And that's another one for swapping and trading stuff and also passing on food that is either in your pantry or your fridge that you're about to like go away for the weekend and you have all this food, fresh produce or whatever in your fridge that might go bad before you get back, giving it away on Olio so other people with the app can get notified that there's free food. In the oh my gosh. I, yeah, I never out. heard of Olio. I'm going to download it right now. Thank you. <laughs> but it's not as popular here in Canada. I'm definitely going to check it out. I love your message, which essentially is, you know, we all start our low waste, our zero waste efforts in our own home and we can curate our own homes to support our ideals. It might take a while, but we can set up the systems in place so that we create less trash. It's easy when it's, you know, with, or I shouldn't say easy, it's manageable when it's within our own walls, right? But I would say, I and I think what you're saying too, is that the advanced strategies come when we take those core efforts and we spread them far and wide, when we take them into the community, because the common adage with regard to raising children is it takes a village. And I would argue that when it comes to helping our planet, it also takes a village. So if you have an abundance or a surplus and you're not a extrovert, perhaps you just muster up your inner extrovert and you go knock on your neighbor's door, even if you never spoke to him or her and um, share your abundances, whatever it may be. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I even this year had quite a few tomatoes from my garden as a random example. Um, We had a garden this year and I just got tired at the end of the summer and was feeling a little overwhelmed. So I put, I picked all the tomatoes and put them in a box just on my front lawn and it just said free tomatoes and they were gone so fast. But I was talking with the person who was interested in taking them and we were able to talk quite a bit about gardening and what they're going to make with all those tomatoes and how I would just ran out of energy and jars. And uh, it was, it was really nice. And like, 
if you want it bad enough, <laughs> you might reach it out. But I'm also a very big extrovert, so it's hard for me to <laughs> give advice to non-extroverts. Same. <laughs> but I would also say, too, that if you are on the receiving end, if somebody is, you know, offering you something, we need to flip the script which the flip the conventional script, which is to say, no, no, I'm fine, but thank you for asking. And instead say, instead speak with honesty and say, yes, I need this and thank you. Or yeah. yes, I need your friendship. <laughs> so like, I don't want your tomatoes. I want to be your friend. So let's become yeah, friends on I the street when we see each other. hear that. We... And I think that something that's at least missing Perhaps I should not speak for all of America, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. (laughs) Sorry to every American listening, but America was founded on rugged individualism, right? You make your own destiny based on your own efforts. And I think there's really something to be said for making your own destiny, but also embracing the heart of the community that you've been raised in. I don't know. I think there's a balance to be had there. And I think that that balance might really, at the end of the day, support the zero waste movement. Elspeth, tell me and my listeners where they can find you and your podcast online. Sure. So you can go to any of the major podcast platforms. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, all of those things to find Practically Zero Waste Podcast. Uh, You can find us on Instagram at Practically Zero Waste Pod and the website is practicallyzerowaste.ca because we're Canadian. And then um, (laughs) uh, what else? Oh, yeah. If you want to send an email, if you have any questions after today's um, show, you can always. Thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. We're recording on a Friday night and it was lovely. Thank you so much. No problem. I so hope you enjoyed that conversation with Elspeth Callahan over at the Practically Zero Waste podcast. I have linked to her as well as her podcast in this week's show notes. Be sure to check it out if you haven't listened before. It is such a good one. Now, I have an eco tip for you today, and it's less of a tip and more of a real heartwarming story, and it comes from Kelsey. Kelsey wrote to me after Christmas, and she wanted to tell me how she celebrated a low-waste holiday with her family, and especially her young son, who is 18 months old. Kelsey said that her son loves everything outdoors, and especially sticks. So instead of filling her son's stocking with plastic stuff, Kelsey filled it with sticks and rocks. And Kelsey does say that, yes, she did get a bit of a side eye from her mother-in-law, but that was okay because when her son saw the sticks poking out of the stocking, his eyes lit up and she said that she saw Christmas magic light up on his face right then and there. So I really wanted to highlight this because I love how Kelsey 
did what would make her son happy as opposed to what conventionally we're told to put in a Christmas stocking. Sticks and rocks. I love it. And I love the forward thinking. Thank you so much, Kelsey, for sharing that story with us. On next week's show, we are discussing how the pandemic has amplified the struggle of parents and specifically mothers in particular. And we're not just leaving it there. We, of course, are also discussing what we can do about it. I will see you then. Have an amazing week. Stay home, stay healthy, and take care, my friends.